hard that the monkey can climb. No more he shows his tail. Welcome to Booked, the Warmed and Bound Sessions. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Warmed and Bound is an anthology published by Velvet Press, consisting of just under 40 short stories, all by authors who are members of or involved in The Velvet. An online community of authors and fans of the trio will Christopher Bayer, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Warmed and Bound was released on Friday, July 22nd. Axel Tayari is a French writer born in Paris in 1984. He studied screenwriting and modern literature. After an endless string of shit jobs, he quit everything to focus on writing. His work appears in multiple magazines and anthologies, including Dogmatica, 3AM Magazine, No Colony, and 365 Tomorrows. He is also the creator and co-editor of the literary journal Rotten Leaves. Axel was kind enough to join us by Skype from France for an interview today. Axel, thank you for taking the time to come on Booked. Thank you guys very much for having me. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about Death Juggler? Uh, sure. Uh, Death Juggler is a, a kind of sci-fi story, I suppose, uh, set in a city called New Alistem. It's a massive, decaying place that survived the apocalypse and uh, has been falling apart for a couple of centuries. It's uh, overrun by mutants and, and giants and squid people and various weird races and, let's say, less than classy characters. Uh, the, the story itself focuses on uh, Asher, uh, a circus artist whose art is to kill himself on stage every night in front of an audience with the use of uh, various tricks. He uh, does that with the help of his friend and assistant, Callahan, a surgeon who, uh, well, honestly, I, I wouldn't let that guy operate on me. And uh, Asher, the death juggler, owes money to a local mafia boss, has owed money for, for quite a while, in fact. And the, the story kicks off when uh, Asher receives a, a final death threat from the mafia saying, you know, friend, seems like you have some trouble killing yourself. We can fix that problem for you permanently. And uh, Asher, who clearly doesn't have the money and wouldn't pay it anyhow, has one last night to come up with an ex escape plan. And uh, that's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty twisted story. And uh, I'm, I, I really hope people will dig it. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. I think it's a it's a perfect um, it's a perfect launching off point for for warmed and bound. We talked about this a little bit with uh, with Pela the other night. It it really just sucks you right in, and much like we mentioned before when we had talked about um, a light to star by, you have this kind of knack for creating these fantastic little fantasy like dark fantasy worlds in a really really short period of time. What inspired this particular story? It's uh, basically the I mean, A Light to Starve By, which maybe we'll talk about a bit later, was kind of written in a, in a vacuum. It was always meant to be a, a one-off story, whereas uh, Death Juggler is uh, set in the world that I've worked very hard on over the past few years, which, uh, I, I'm, I mean, I have a, a novel set in that world, which I, I hope will see the light of day at some point. But um, it's um, I think it started with my kind of frustration with uh, typical fantasy cliches, I suppose. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are kind of riding the, the Tolkien bandwagon, which is having uh, pretty racist elves and dwarves with beards and green orcs 
And uh, that, I think that when it comes to, to science fiction and fantasy, one of the, the most powerful thing that, that you can have in those genres is um, being, being confused and, and scared and stepping into a universe where you're disoriented as often as possible because the, as, a, as a reader that makes you vulnerable. Uh, so so that, that's really how, how the story and the, the world and the novel in general came about. It's trying to, to step away from the usual fantasy cliches and making a world that's dark and hopefully original and having technology and, you know, no races that you've heard of before. I, th I think that was my main fear when, when writing Death Juggler and when Pella told me that the, the story would be the first in the anthology, you know, because all of a sudden you, you have this neo-noir anthology and I'm throwing squid people at you. And uh, I, 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 I was afraid it was going to be too much, but uh, so, so far I've heard some very, very kind things, so I'm, I'm glad for that. How do you classify your style of story writing? I mean, is, is would you say you write science fiction more frequently, or how would you classify it? Uh, it's. Uh, I think I've had a kind of a disagreement with Richard Thomas over this for a long time, <laughs> because uh, he's thrown the word steampunk at me, and I. It's definitely not that uh, <laughs> steampunk. I suppose is kind of Victorian, but um. I, I don't know. It's this weird bastard genre of, of sci-fi and fantasy because I, I enjoy the, the, the world-building aspect of fantasy and I enjoy the ideas that, that propel sci-fi and I enjoy the quick, gut-wrenching prose of noir and I think that's really what I'm trying to... I'm trying to be at the crossroads uh, of all those genres so actually leading up to uh, Warmed and Bound being released, uh, you put on your website a little snip of a conversation you had with Steve Erickson uh, and some praise that he gave you. Uh, how is that for you? I mean, was it very unexpected or, how, yeah, how, how is that for you? I mean, it's uh, very humbling and very terrifying. I, I, I discovered, you know, Steve Erickson when I was, 1920 around that age and and I, I read Rubicon Beach and I, I couldn't sleep for several days and um, you know it's, it's eight years later to to receive a, a sort of approval from from someone I, I look up to someone I, I respect so much it's just it's it's stunning and and I, I couldn't have asked for anything better really it's uh, I I try not to put other writers on on a pedestal but i mean when it comes to steve erickson I, I just can't avoid it there's no way i just want to say that uh at least from my perspective that praise is well deserved the the couple things of yours that we've read so far i've really really enjoyed and i think it was dead on what he said about it thank you i, I really appreciate that yeah it's it's i think it's a okay my train of thought is this it's it's a tough balancing act um writing in that kind of genre um you know whether it is a light to start by or, or death juggler because when it's it's the short story form and you can't spend too long on exposition but at the same time you can't allow yourself to to confuse the reader by not giving enough details so it's a it's a it's a very very fine line to work and i'm glad that 
Ericsson and, and, and you guys and quite a few other people have gone right along with it. That's that, that was really my main fear. Warmed and Bound has been selling very well on Barnes & Noble um, immediately after its release. Um, what were your expectations in, you know, in comparison to where it's at? I mean, at the time of this recording, it's uh, still at number seven. Yeah, that's uh, insane. <laughs> that I really, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, it's yeah, it's seven overall, and I just had a look, and it was number three in uh, paperbacks, which which means we're outselling Harry Potter and and <laughs> you know George R R Martin uh, for for the past 24 hours. Um, as as for my expectations, I mean, the sales rank is nice. It's it's sweet and all, and uh, hopefully it will give us the attention that the that the anthology deserves. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm not too concerned about that. I, I suppose I'm I'm really more honored to share a book with people like Clevenger and Stephen Graham Jones, really. But yeah, I hope it keeps selling like it has been for the past 24 hours. It's it's ridiculous, and and if it can help potentially launch uh, a velvet press, that that would be uh, an achievement. That would be beautiful. Okay, switching it up a little bit. Uh, I think you mentioned before just in, in talks with us and emails and stuff like that, uh, and we've talked to others who were involved with uh, Eternal Night, that the release was not what you'd hoped for, uh, I think, in content and in how it was promoted and everything. So is there anything you want to, uh, or you know, can you tell us about from, from that experience? Sure, sure. Uh, Eternal Night, I think, was kind of put together by... Christopher Dwyer at the time, he was kind of the leading force for that. It was supposed to be a, a vampire anthology that would um, send off a, a big fuck you to Twilight and, uh, and you know, kind of break the usual vampire cliches. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, the, there was some trouble with the publisher. He was less than supportive, I would say, and the proofreading was lackluster. And I... Yeah, I'm not sure I want to badmouth the guy, but let's just say it was a disappointing uh, experience, which uh, that anthology really never got the attention it deserved, uh, because you know a lot a lot of the folks who are in uh, in Warmed and Bound were also in that anthology, and it it should have been read a hell of a lot more. Um, I, I I suppose on the on the positive side, it allowed me to. A year later, run with uh, a light to starve by and have a bit of fun with that. We've been asking a question to everybody that we've been interviewing for the the lead up to the Worm Bound and everything, and we've been getting kind of a similar response. So um, <laughs> we asked people how they got involved with the Velvet, and typically they say, "Oh, I read Fight Club, and then I was over at the Cult, and then that showed you know, that led me to the Velvet, and you know, then I read Craig Clevenger, and it changed my life." So um, is that kind of your story as well, or do you have a different way that you got involved with the Velvet? Um, my story with the Velvet, I think, might be a tiny bit more exciting. Uh, it involves flying over the ocean. Uh, back, uh, I think it was uh, six years ago, if my math is correct, which it certainly isn't. I started reading really heavily, and I I discovered Chuck Palahniuk's uh, work kind of randomly, and Fight Club especially, and it kind of 
made me realize that I really, really needed to write. And um, so on a whim, I, I flew over to uh, New York City uh, because Chuck Palahniuk was having a reading there. And my one hope was to meet the man and shake his hand and, and thank him for, you know, what he's done for my life, I suppose. And um, and so I, I flew over to New York and landed and uh, <laughs> left my non-English speaking girlfriend at the at the hotel room, which was such a classy move. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I ran to um, New York University where the reading was taking place. And I kind of sat outside and I was reading Philip K. Dick, waiting in line. And um, this guy was walking around and uh, he was handing books to to everyone, essentially. Just please take it. And I swear, I've, I've never seen people so scared of accepting a book from a stranger. It was this really weird thing. And um, the girls next to me get a copy and they look at the back cover, then they look at the front cover, they open the book, and one of them in a, in a really cheesy voice starts reading, um, I must be dead for there is nothing but blue snow and the furious silence of a gunshot. And at this point, I kind of closed my book and started listening. And she keeps reading. And she gets to that point where it says, uh, I'm cold, religiously cold. And I immediately stood up and waved the guy over who had been handing the books and asked for a copy. And uh, that was Will Christopher Bear's Kiss Me Judas. I frankly don't remember much about New York City. I, I really don't, except perhaps gaining 10, 10 pounds because I was eating so much fast food. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I do remember laying awake at night and, and um, reading Kiss Me Judas over and over again. My involvement with the Velvet itself came after that because through through Bear, then I discovered Clevenger and Stephen Graham Jones. And I only became a, a regular of the Velvet, I think, four years ago. That's when I started um, writing in English. I, uh, I took a, a class, or a workshop rather, with uh, Craig Clevenger, and um, it was the scariest thing I think I've ever done, by far, because there is nothing like uh, <laughs> having to, to start cranking out stories for one of your favorite authors in a language that is not your own. It was it was fucking horrifying, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I suppose a, a great experience all around, and that's how, that's also how I met um, Christopher Dwyer, Richard Thomas, and Caleb. I believe was also part of that. We kind of uh, they kind of followed my stuff every week that that I posted in the workshop, and we became fast friends. Um, you mentioned English not being your own language. Um, okay, I had a question, but I'm going to preface it with this. How how did you learn English? Your English is incredibly well for somebody whose English is a second language and not, you know, living in the United States or England or anywhere else that English is spoken, I guess. Uh, I think my, my English comes from being a gigantic geek, really. <laughs> uh, you know, that... French people are, aren't really exposed to the English language at all. You know, we are through school, but it's it's not much. It's just like, I suppose, you guys learning French and Spanish in school. You can say a few sentences by the end of it, but it's really not much. And, and furthermore, uh, everything we have on TV is dubbed. 
and all the movies are dubbed to if and best case scenario they are subtitled but really that's a that's a rarity how, how i learned english was um well reading a lot of books really it's uh I, I had grown tired of everything being translated, so I, I forced myself to to start off with really simple books in English. So uh, you know, I started with um, uh, an English translation of uh, Albert Camus, uh, the, the Stranger, mm-hmm. um, because I was familiar with that book in French, obviously. So I, I started with that and kind of built it up, and um, just by reading. And I think after three, four books, then I could get a, a good idea of the language and could understand. As for the pronunciation, that came, I, I'd say, five years after I could read in English. Uh, just working in an English-speaking envi- environment, I worked for uh, Blizzard Ent- Entertainment uh, for a brief spell, uh, the, the geeks behind World of Warcraft, and uh, <laughs> was on an English team. So that, that helped a lot with the pronunciation. But yeah, just um, the base of the language itself was from reading a whole lot. Oh, very impressive. Do you write in French at all? Do you write any stories in French or do you do it exclusively in English? I can't write in French anymore. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where I think in English. Um, probably it helps or it doesn't help to be dating uh, an English speaker. Um, so we always, you know, chat in English and all. Um, and um, I, I read so much in English, and I and I digest, you know, TV shows. I, I watch, you know, all of Deadwood and The Wire and everything. So it, French is so far removed from my brain. And um, I mean, even when my French was uh, pretty decent, I mean, it is a very, very hard language to master. It is the the grammar is ridiculous, and uh, it's uh, it's very set in stone. You can't you can't mold it to to your will. You really can't. Whereas English is this very um, fluid kind of kind of language. It's very elastic, and uh, you can have a lot of fun with that. Turning nouns into verbs very easily, um, and uh, the amount of words. I mean, it, I may be mistaken on this, but I think you have three times the amount of word of words that the French language has. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's a bit of a learning curve to to understand the difference between a a, a thicket and a bush. Bush, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's confusing, but it's a lot of fun to to wrestle with the language. Uh, that reminds me of <laughs> something that we had on an earlier episode of ours that Livius fully made fun of me for was I had read in one of the books we were reading, someone used the word schadenfreude and they use it very well. And I was, I, I was impressed by it. And then Livius made fun of me, but then Malaz, uh, I don't remember if it was, uh, I don't know, on Facebook or something like that said something about how he believes that the English language has borrowed like a third of its, you know, words from other languages or something like that. So <laughs> I don't know what you, were, what you were saying about English having so many words, uh, you know, <laughs> most of them aren't ours. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, trust me, it makes me giggle a little bit every time someone uses a French word in, uh, in English and says like, cul-de-sac and entrepreneur <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's just butchering the french word but it's so funny <laughs> <laughs> oh 
I um, sorry. English is my first language, but I, I have Romanian as a second language. But my parents have Romanian satellite TV, and there are times where, where you know I see that they're watching something on TV, and, it, and it's all in Romanian except for many words that they're now borrowing from um, the English language. And my mother was telling me how annoying it is to hear the word weekend come up. In <laughs> so it's a string of Romanian words and then weekend at the end of it because they haven't. They don't, and much like you said about French, they just they don't have a word for weekend, so they borrowed one from another language because the lexicon of that language is much smaller than, and most of them are smaller than English because we'll just make up words on the fly if we need to. <laughs> oh yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, French does the same thing really. We're borrowing more and more words from the English language, which you know, I mean, it's I think it's payback a little bit, uh, but uh, uh, you know, it's just. And we, we have this sort of uh, committee in, in France who uh, the, the people are in charge of, of protecting the language so they they can approve or deny a, a new word being added to the dictionary or uh, an English word becoming French. Um, so it, it results in some ridiculous situations where, yeah, you have to say chewing gum in French, even though we've all used chewing gum the English word um, for the past three decades, but now that you you would get um, it, it wouldn't be accepted if you wrote something with the word chewing gum in it. You have to say that in French, which sounds ridiculous. It doesn't work. It's we can't do that. Okay, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started with writing? Sure. Um, I. I... I think I was about 12 or 13, really, and uh, I was already doing what I'm doing now. Uh, I, I wrote and I was also drawing, which is, I mean, I can't draw worth shit, um, but uh, I was writing this, it ended up being a 300 pages comic book when I was 12 or 13, black and white, and I would pass it around school to uh, all the other kids, and uh, it was... I mean, it was kind of well received, I suppose, except for the few who would make fun of me because of it. But, but um, I mean, that that got everything started, and then I I pushed that away for a few years until I I really read um, Fight Club and Rubicon Beach. Um, I had crafted a couple of stories in French before that, but I, I really the the language didn't agree with me, um, and. Uh, yeah, it, I, I think, once again, Steve Erickson is the the one defining author that uh, whose work completely shattered me. And, and, and I, I think I, I figured I had no choice but to write. And um, so I, I did my best to learn, which is go to film school and study screenwriting because we don't have creative writing classes uh, in France. They, they don't exist at all. There is no way to learn about writing, except for screenwriting. Um, so I did that, and the, I suppose the next big jump big jump was the, the aforementioned uh, Clevenger workshop four years ago, yeah, uh, where everything kind of took a turn for the really serious. Um, I, I, after that, I, I, I mean, I, I quit my job at Blizzard very fast, and uh, and uh, kind of survived on welfare and on part-time shit jobs for a long time, which I'm still doing now, um, just so I can write as much as possible. Um, it's 
I, I'm doing everything in my power to to spend all my hours just writing. That that's uh, I don't see any other way. I, I I I don't see any other way to live, and more specifically, I don't know how to hold down a full time job <laughs> and a stable relationship and uh, and you know social stuff such as friends and writing. I can't do all of that. There is no way. So uh, I'll. Uh, I think I'll write out poverty for for a while and uh, keep writing. And then changing up uh, things a little bit, tell our listeners about RottenLeaves.com. Sure, um, Rotten Leaves is uh, um, an online magazine of, um, I would say, fairly dark fiction uh, that uh, Christopher Dwyer and I started uh, about two years ago. <laughs> Much like a lot of what we do, it was a response to something, and uh, I think it was a response to uh, a, a lot of um, magazines that are fixated on on horror and and noir and just dark fiction go possibly way too deep into it. You know, there is a lot of what I would call um, horror porn out there, which is just violence for the sake of violence and um, we don't really understand or appreciate that I suppose uh, so Run Leaves was and still is supposed to be the this kind of place where you can find noir, horror, science fiction um, that is not uh, overly violent but has more god I hate that word but literary aspirations I suppose um, it's a uh, and now we also have Nick Corpin on board, um, who we kind of recruited after we published The Man uh, in, a, in an issue. And I was just stunned by his writing. So uh, Christopher Dwyer and Nick Corpin have been doing most of the editing um, and, and approval of the stories. And, and uh, I've been mostly geeking out with the website and uh, having fun with it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something I'm really, really proud of. It's, uh, I think it's a good place. And we've just made our, our comeback with uh, a story from Stephen Graham Jones and uh, quite a few others. And uh, I, I strongly recommend that everyone check it out. Kicking it off with Stephen Graham Jones, that's a pretty solid way to go there. Can't go wrong with Stephen, can you? <laughs> There's no way. Okay, and our correspondent from the Netherlands uh, just can't help getting into all these episodes and he sent us over this clip and this is what he has to say about Axel. Hello my little Leslings, good of you to have come back. Today I'm speaking a few words about the Deaf Juggler. It's a story written by Axel Tayari. The story is about a peculiar circus artist, or maybe he isn't peculiar, but simply French. Because this is a true story about life in France, it is Mr. Tayari's natural habitat. It is obvious it's set in that country because the names of the towns are unpronounceable and there are human squid hybrids strolling around without anyone freaking out about it. The tale holds some very printable phrases, but more important to me, it is funny in exactly the right moments. The story can be found in Chevalier. Well, that is what my high school dictionary made of warmth and bound. Oh yeah, one last thing. Alright is spelled A double L. R-I-G-H-T, with a space in between all and right. Thank you. And cheerio. 
Um, yeah, I think Mlas um, pretty much nailed it. I, I mean, Death Juggler isn't so much a, a science fiction story as it is a, a memoir of my time in France. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a. Uh, this is my childhood right there. And uh, but uh, I'm, I'm glad he seemed to kind of appreciate it, sort of. As for the all right business, yeah, he's technically right, but, but then again. You know, Cormac McCarthy and Will Christopher Bear uh, both spell all right in one word uh, when it comes to dialogues. So, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell Mlaz, um, take it with them. Just, just talk to them if you have a problem with all right. I'm just going to hide behind the big authors. <laughs> and then um, here's, here's another kind of offbeat question for you. Um, Christopher Dwyer, when, when, we, uh, when we had him on, had... Uh, made some commentary about uh, when you guys were at the AWP in a, in a movie you had watched, uh, <laughs> Paranormal Activity. So we thought it only fair to give the, the rest of you guys that were mentioned in that conversation a chance to uh, rebuke anything that, uh, you know, give your side of the story. All right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not American, but I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> but if something did happen, then uh, for, for the record, um, Richard Thomas is a big sissy, <laughs> and um, if Christopher and I were indeed spooning, then I was the big spoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, No, just, Richard was terrified. I, I love the man, but he started he started seeing shapes uh, in the mirror, uh, things moving, and I, I mean, for God's sake, we're supposed to be four grown men who write <laughs> kind of horror fiction. Can can we please not get scared by a DVD on a very small screen? <laughs> it, it would be nice, you would think, but uh, nope. Still terrified. We it, it was, it wasn't my proudest moment, is what I'm gonna say. Oh, that little bit of information has just brought us endless amusement. I wanna, I just wanna <laughs> say that. <laughs> um, hey, this is something we ask pretty much everybody, and um, I, I like it because it helps us. Uh, a lot with um who we can be looking toward but if you uh if you were to rec recommend an author for us to have on uh or to review one of their books who would you suggest uh i think caleb talked a little bit about it but um vincent luis Carella is uh his work is stunning i mean uh S serpent box was one of the few novels to make me weep, to complete me break, to completely break me down in the past few years. Uh, it's it's one of the most beautiful stories I've I've ever read. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend Vincent. Uh, in case you don't already already have, uh, you know, Clevenger and Jones lined up, that would be neat. Uh, all of them, all of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just queue up everyone. <laughs> um we actually do have clevenger and jones lined up so oh, but yes um you're the third person now to mention um vincent lewis corella to us and uh, i think we're definitely going to have to look into him because he's coming very highly recommended yeah he's uh i mean i i believe on the on the novel side he only has a uh, serpent box uh out there but um he has quite a few short stories available for free online but um I, I mean, I, I can't recommend Serpent Box enough. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful piece of fiction. What are you working on currently? Uh, short stories, mostly. Uh, I, I, I wrapped up the, 
the novel that I need to shut up about at this point. Um, that uh, I'm, I'm hoping to submit that, no that novel to agents in September. It's happening in the same world as um, as a Death Juggler. It's exactly the same universe, just with uh, different characters. So it's a it's a 500 pages uh, monster of a book, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, otherwise, people can um, check out my website, axeldiary.com. And uh, I have a, a story coming out this week in a, in a Dirty Noir, uh, which I haven't published a short story in about nine months, uh, I believe. And uh, this is the most disgusting story I've ever written. Uh, it's downright disturbing, and I, I have never written a story from the from the point of view of a psychopath. And uh, I think I got a very uh, worried or slash amazed uh, email from uh, Nick Corbin, who told me that he read it uh, on the way to the the beach. His uh, girlfriend was driving, and uh, he was sitting in the car and making faces the whole way, and looking quite horrified, apparently. So uh, yeah, that's this week on uh, on Dirty Noir, and uh, yeah, I have a what I what I really recommend is people checking out my website. I should have a quite a few short stories coming out almost every month for the next six months. Good deal. We definitely look forward um, at least here on book to more uh, to more fiction from you, Axel. Thank you. Okay, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that maybe we forgot to mention? Yeah, I think I wanted to give a quick shout out to to Pella for her work on the anthology. She has really been the the driving force uh, behind this thing, and Logan, of course. Uh, but I, I mean, dealing with with Pella has been a, a, a true pleasure, and she's uh, she's just badass all around, very kind and badass, uh, which is uh, the way all women should be, I believe. Um, so uh, yeah, she she deserves all the credit in the world for, for her work. Um, if you're listening to this and you haven't ordered uh, Warmed and Bound, then, uh, well, that, that makes me cry inside a little bit. <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah that's, that's I, I don't think we've missed anything. Uh, we've talked about Ron Lee's website. Yeah, just please, people, go for, for Warmed and Bound. It is a, it is a fantastic thing, and uh, I, I really hope people will enjoy it. I, I, I just wanted to, to thank you both, not only for, for the Warmed and Bound sessions, but um, for, for the love you've given to uh, Light to Starve By and just your podcast in general. I've, I've, I've tried a lot of, of book-related related podcasts, and uh, yours is the only one that I come back to week after week. So thank you very much for that, and please keep going. Oh, thanks a lot. Well, thank you. Oh, my pleasure, guys. That's Excellent. it. I'm all done. <laughs> Axel, thanks for taking the time to come on and talk to us here at Book Today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Okay, and once more, really big thanks to Axel Tyari for coming on and talking to us for a little bit. You can find more information about his writings at axeltyari.com and go check out rottenleaves.com as well. And you can read his excellent story, Death Juggler, in Warmed and Bound, which was released on July 22nd and is available on amazon.com as well as barnesandnoble.com. That wraps up another episode of Booked. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Come back again tomorrow for another Warmed and Bound session. I'm writers and critics who prophesize with your pen 
And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the time